Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, I will be talking about grief. I will, of course, first define it and then talk about how to see grief in a new way, a way that originates in the definition of grief itself. The origin of the word grief is Old French, and it comes from the word to burden. And then tracing it back, the word burden comes from Old English baron, which means to carry, endure, or sustain. So the root of grief is a burden we carry, we endure, we sustain. This gives us entry into how we and our bodies and our physiology manifest grief. So Rebecca and I will talk today about grief, its meaning, and its impact not only on us as individuals, but on our culture as well. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Today we are talking about grief. Yeah. This is a big, important subject. And I'm really, really intrigued and looking forward to hearing your perspective on it and learning how we can utilize transformational therapeutics to deal with grief. When I decided to talk about this subject, I looked up, again, the origin of the word grief, because I really believe that within the language itself is a definition that we can all share. And actually, the word grief comes from an old French word that means burden. And that, to me, was just explained it all. So grief equals burden. When somebody has a loss, and I've had quite a few, when you're told, let's say somebody has died, one literally just drops to the floor. It's like so heavy, your body can't carry it, you drop to the floor. Mm. And that metaphorically is a burden that you carry on your shoulders that keeps you suppressed, depressed until you can actually grieve. And grief takes a very long time. And it's interesting, there's a woman, her name is Megan Devine, and she wrote a book called How to Carry What Can't Be Fixed, and it's about grief. And she said, this is a quote, grief isn't a problem to be solved, it's an experience to be carried. The work of grief itself is really considered internal. It's an internal processing that takes, I believe it takes a lifetime, if not more. She says, and I quote, your mind goes offline so that it can heal. So when you're first in the initial grieving stages, you just go blank a lot. You just, you're not present. For sure. And that's just how it is. Out of curiosity, do you have any thoughts? Is there a difference between grief and grieving? Yes, I think that um, grieving is an action. Grief is a state. Grief is a state that we find ourselves in when we have loss. And grieving is a processing of that state. And I spoke in one of the podcasts about psyche, about processing feelings. And I'll talk about it again in a future podcast, but processing unresolved feelings is really important in our physiology. So grief takes up residence. The way the body physiologically deals with grief is through crying. And over time, if you're not crying and not getting those tears out, the tears represent your feelings about the loss If you're not getting those tears out, you're suppressing that grief and that can build up inside of you and manifest as pain or dis-ease or different forms in your physiology. 
It is a burden when not processed or lifted off of you continues to be carried inside of your physiology. Mm. And I think particularly now in this second year, we're actually going into our third year of the pandemic, there's an inordinate amount of grief that's happening and that people are not really acknowledging. It seems like probably most of us have grief in some form, perhaps in our culture, not many actually grieve. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. And in our culture, we don't acknowledge grief. It's, it's like we're American and, you know, it's like slap yourself, move on. Grief itself is an emotion that is comes in waves and you never know when it's going to come. You don't know when it's going to show up. And I'm going to expand how I see it to not just a loss of a person, but any loss. Mm-hmm. Any loss is grievable. I mean, we've all lost our freedom. We've lost our power in a lot of ways. You know, I did a podcast on power. We've lost our ability to choose. It goes very deep. And each of those is a loss. And for some people, it will be a deeper loss than others. But we're living in a time of pandemic and an inordinate amount of grief that I don't see it being processed. I see people, instead of being sad, being angry. Right. And manifesting that anger which is appropriate, but I wonder underneath it how much grief is not being processed, how much grieving is not happening. I've always thought that for some, anger could feel like an easier emotion to attach to. It feels more powerful than grieving, which can feel really powerless. Yes, unless you're being literally threatened. Anger is an emotion that covers for either grief or fear. Mm -hmm. I've always said that. And if you can actually grieve or deal with your fear, you don't need to be angry. You know, anger is is a form of aggression that comes up when our arms are tied, and that's a a classic definition. And and a, a newborn, a little baby, will demonstrate aggression literally if its arms are tied. But metaphorically, if our arms are tied, anger is appropriate. If we're feeling powerless... And in this day and time, many of us are feeling powerless. So there's a combination of grief and anger that we're not dealing with. And it's separating us. It's separating this whole culture. Tremendously. Never mind the fact that we're being separated by the powers that be in terms of isolating and that sort of thing. That separation is grievous in a lot of ways. Right, right. So tell us more about grief itself like what can we what can we learn through the lens of transformational therapeutics well grief itself is part of the human condition and i think buddha said all life is sorrow (laughs) so in eastern cultures they're much more comfortable with grief but in this country we are not and we deny it and we we want mastery we want to fix it we want to correct it and it can't be and it is It is a a force that many, many people carry and don't talk about it. One of the ways of externalizing it and processing it is to talk about it. And in our culture, it's hard to find people to talk to. And one of the tenets of some of the people who work with grieving people is all grief needs accompaniment, needs someone to witness it. And we've also lost a lot of our rituals around grief. And rituals provide a container 
and I talked about container in one of the other podcasts, provide a container for our grief and provide a, a social container, rituals themselves. And particularly at this time, with people dying and people not being able to be with their loved ones when they die, the, the grief that we are exhibiting is massive. It's just massive. And we're going to, we're going to pay a price for that. Right. There's a collective grief. There's individual grief. There's grief among so many subgroups and in so many different ways. And there, there's so many losses. And it's not just the loss that the pandemic has, has demonstrated for us. It's the loss. I mean, just in this time, it's the, the planet, it's the economy, it's jobs, it's relatives. It just goes on and on and on. And I don't see people really talking about it. Many years ago, I studied with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who was a psychiatrist from Switzerland. And she started the hospice movement in this country and wrote a book called On Death and Dying. And um, she talked about the five stages of death. People have in some ways ridiculed her that it, she made it so clear. And, but that's not what she meant. And oftentimes what she was actually talking about was the five stages that people who are dying go through, not necessarily their relatives. Huh. Right. I've always thought of it as the five stages of grief, but really it's the five stages of death. Of dying. Of dying. Yeah, of, which is a loss. Right. You know, Absolutely. You're losing your life. You're going, yeah. For sure. When you apply it to someone in hospice. Right. Wow. So humans live with grief. It's part of the human condition. And you don't necessarily get over it. It's in there. It comes and goes. It comes in waves. You never know when it's going to come. And we'll never go completely away. But the way to see it is that the waves that come from a loss, if you're actually grieving, over time tend to come less frequently as you process it. And you really do need someone to witness it. So people don't know what to say to others who've lost someone or something. And they oftentimes say things that are inappropriate because the person who should be comforting the person who lost someone is uncomfortable and trying, you know, they say, oh, get over it. They don't like how long it takes. They, they tend to use platitudes. And, and actually, and I know this from experience, all anybody wants is someone to acknowledge the loss and say, I am sorry. There is nothing else to be said. And then be present. There's really nothing else that you can say. I mean, it, it just, there isn't. And sadness itself, the best antidote for it is human connection. And just a, a quick side, I was in my probably, I was just about 60, 61 years old. And I was at a workshop that had to do with singing and I realized that and it was, there were hundreds of people there, and I realized that I was dissociating during certain parts of the singing. And I knew what it was from, and I went up to one of the instructors, and I explained to her, I said, help me figure this out because I can't stay present. And I explained to her what had happened early in my life in terms of abuse that I had suffered. And she said to me, oh, I am so sorry that happened to you. And at that age, that was the first time anybody had ever said that to me. Wow. With all the therapists I've been to, all the therapies, all the people I've known, it was the first person who said that to me, and it was, like, shocking to me. Wow. What, what was it like to be heard? 
It was phenomenal. It was, I didn't realize I hadn't been. Mm. If you've never been hurt and no one's ever acknowledged a loss, I hadn't identified it necessarily as a loss, but it was a loss of an aspect of myself having been abused. And when she said, I'm so sorry that happened to you, it's like, oh my gosh, never, never occurred to me that someone would feel sorry for me. Just never occurred to me. And, and, you know, it's 10 years later, that meant everything to me. Right. Right. And so I, I, I know personally how important it is to just say to someone, I am so sorry. In genuine, yeah. Genuine and be present for them. What can I do? That's it. Right. Right. And oftentimes in our culture, we'll, we'll say, you know, you, you told me earlier, you get three days off from a corporate job if somebody close to you dies. Yeah. And people will say, you know, get over it. You know, you're still, you know, it's ridiculous. You're still living back in that time. And I've said in other podcasts that the state that we're in, our physiological state, is associated with a time. And grief rises up. And when it rises up in you, you're in that original time. And you may not even realize it. Interesting. So when that wave of grief comes, sometimes seemingly out of nowhere, what you're saying is that that's the original state that your body, your being, your mind remembers having experienced. And it it doesn't usually come up out of nowhere. We may not be aware of it. So when it comes up, and if you can identify the feeling or the state, you can look around you at what's happening I mean, this is the whole language piece for me. The language of the, of the um, situation, something has reminded you. Mm-hmm. Someone, you know, someone has reminded you of someone you lost. The situation itself is similar to what happened years ago when you lost somebody. That's just normal. I mean, we don't ever talk about how normal that is. Right. And so that feeling will come up and you might say, I don't know, I don't know what's going on. It doesn't make any sense, but the body makes sense. You just have to look at it and ask, what is it about the situation that is mirroring another situation that I haven't resolved yet? And that's why it's coming up and it's okay to feel sad or whatever it is that you feel. Yes. I feel like that deserves a repeat to say it is okay. It is okay to feel sad. It's actually important to feel sad. If you aren't present in your sadness or acknowledging that that's what you're feeling, and oftentimes it will come up as anxiety, like this frisson of anxiety from really deep and you won't know what it is. And I've just discovered this over time that it will come up in me and it has no connection with anything I can figure out. But if I cry, my physiology changes. So I just assume that there must be some grief that I haven't yet acknowledged. Because I can feel the difference in my physiology. So to me, that's the language of the body coming up. And some of my grief was very early on, and so I don't remember it. Mm. So it's being present with it, feeling sad, and making it okay to feel sad. Our culture doesn't make it okay. Right. At a young age, if someone's sad, you go up and say, what's wrong? Stop crying. Right. Right. Be happy. Right. Actually, I've been having conversations with a good friend of mine who is learning that it is okay to be sad. And there's we've been discussing it, but there's almost an instinct that, oh my gosh, why am I sad right now? This must mean that I'm doing something wrong. Or this must mean that the situation itself is wrong, that this decision I'm making is wrong. And, and that, to me, language-wise, just tells me that this person, back whenever the original incident happened, when the first grief arose, 
someone told them it's wrong on some level. And that's in your brain, that associative learning happens. And so from there forward, you associated grieving with being wrong. And so you don't grieve. Right. I mean, it's really that, that is the language of grief. Right. And it's interesting because then when that erupts, it's either I need to stop doing this or I need to stop feeling this grief or I need to stop doing the thing that I'm doing, thinking that this decision I made that's bringing this grief up is wrong or this path I'm, this person I'm around is wrong and I need to not be with them. But when you acknowledge that being sad is okay and grieving is an important part of life, actually. And oftentimes I'm, on one of the podcasts I talked about, um, I was working with someone and I said I felt like I wanted to crawl out of my skin. Mm. And she said, do it. And I sat there and it did it and it, and I did it and it disappeared and I was fine. It's, it's the same thing with grief. We, you know, we're so driven in this culture, we don't take time. But, but if we were to take the time and just let whatever the feeling is come up and expand and expand and expand, then it would show us what it is. Because feelings themselves, emotions themselves, it's important to process them and let them go. Sure. Rather than holding on to them or suppressing them. In my experience with grief, I find that it almost requires a surrender to it. Like when it erupts, if I resist it, it gets worse and it feels like it's going to be this unimaginable abyss. But if I just take a breath and surrender to it and maybe cry, oftentimes it passes much sooner than I ever anticipated. But it requires that moment of pause and succumbing to it, I suppose. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? And I think that? also making a space for yourself that that's okay to do. Mm. And, and I think what happens is we, we really are in, our, in this culture warped in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I've received this many times. People will either change the subject if I'm talking about something I'm sad about, or, you know, they don't say get over it, but they sort of try to cheer you up and... People want their stories to be heard, and someone has to hear them. Someone has to sit there and hear the story. You know, even with little kids, you know, they fall down and they hurt their knee. And you can either say, oh, you're okay, if they're crying, but my poor knee. And you can acknowledge the pain and the grief that they're having. That they, You know, whatever it is, it may sound ridiculous, but that's where people, kids learn. And they learn to, they learn that they can be heard and they learn that they can get through and come out on the other end without having a witness or a compassionate viewer or, or, or just a, a person there with you. You don't really get the chance to process. And it's really not a big deal. I mean, for this woman, 50, 60 years later to say to me, I'm sorry that happened to you. That made all the difference in my life. So odd, but true. So true. So it doesn't take a lot. It just takes, as an observer, it takes getting out of the way, getting out of outside of yourself and just giving someone what they need, which is, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And separating out our discomfort from theirs so that we can then be compassionate to them and not put ourselves in the picture where we don't belong. What do you mean by that? If you come to me and you've had a loss and you're sad, I need to get out of my way and be there for you. I cannot be there for you if I'm talking about myself. Right. Even if I say, oh, yes, I lost my father. That, that's now changed the whole focus back onto me. And right. it's actually quite selfish. 
Right. And so we need to learn how to be compassionate and generous in the moment to allow the person who's grieving the space to grieve. It's simply, like you said, to be present with the person. That's all all that that person needs. It's just your presence. We call grief or grieving a problem. It's not a problem. It doesn't really have a solution other than time and being heard and being held, whether that means, you know, just psychological containment or having presence. My solution for someone who is grieving is to find the compassion in me for that person. It changes everything. I I tend to believe when someone tries to offer, oh, well, I lost my dad too. It might be them trying to get to the compassion for that person, but it actually steers the presence away from the person. So how do you find the balance between? I think it's really about silence and we're a culture that's not very good at silence. So if, if you have someone who just died and I say, I am so sorry, and then I'm just silent, you will give me indication of what you need it's about it's about meeting someone else's need in this situation and that's what i mean about getting out of my own way my need to be heard or my need to be drama or whatever is not important right now your need is so get out of my own way and say i am so sorry and then wait love that just wait there there's no solution it's just that is the solution i am sorry is the solution right and then the waiting and Allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. Yes. It's okay to be uncomfortable. But it's not okay to make the grieving person uncomfortable. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think it's also, it's a way of having your reality confirmed. Because in our culture, we don't do that. And, and as a culture, we don't like suffering. So we always try to fix it or glide over it or find a solution to it. Right. How can I help? What can I do? What yeah, can how can I, I make you feel I, better? But exactly. This is, you know, you cannot ever... This is so funny. You cannot ever make someone else feel better. Mm-mm. They're there. It's their feelings, and it's up to them to feel better. Right. Um, you can support them, and that might make them feel better. But you can't make them feel better. Sure. And sometimes, a lot of the times, like we've been talking about a lot through these episodes, is sometimes you're not supposed to feel better. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is so important. That it's, it's okay to almost fall apart sometimes so that you can move forward. And I know personally from myself, some of the greatest things in my life have come from allowing myself to go into those more difficult places. And those more difficult feelings. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And when you're going into them, it's not like you're going to drown in them. The fear is that you will drown in them. Right. But in going into them, you then allow them a voice. On some mm-hmm. level, and they can they can be um, externalized. Right. Right. Thank you so much, Dana. This was, I think, such a gift. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it, and you can think of three people who would benefit. If you have friends that are interested in going on journeys with you and joining in, it could be so fun and valuable to send this episode to some friends or your partner or work relationships, and then have a discussion about it. Like talk about these things. So take a moment and send this episode to at least three people through a text, just grab the link, send it through a text, an email, post it on social media. And if you want to uh, support this show, just take a moment and hit subscribe 
give us a review and a five-star rating. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you again next week.